Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Our second scripture has not been read yet. What? That's because I thought we could do something fun that engages everybody of all ages. And especially, like, if you look in your liturgy, look how long this text is. And if you notice, like, the reference, it's not even the whole story. Like, this is still just a part of 1 Samuel 17. So instead of making somebody stand up here and read this whole long story, we're going to act it out together. Woo! Okay, so we are going to tap into our inner child or our regular outer child, if you're already a child, and we're going to step into the dramatic and play-filled narrative of this very well-known story, probably, of David and Goliath. Yes, I'm also going to be like randomly pausing for you guys to uh, fill in the blanks. So that's fun. It's going to be silly and probably awkward, but I hope educational. So now it is time for our cast of characters. Now, I've already volunteered Will to play Goliath because he's tall at least taller than I am, though that's not very hard to do. So if you see on this uh, TV screen here, look at all these men, am I right? (laughs) Well, that doesn't mean that just boys or grown-up men can do this. Like, anyone of any gender and any age can be a part of this imaginative storytelling. So we have our Goliath, the super-tall Philistine. Now I need a David, the hero of the story, Does anybody just, like, really want to be David? Oh, and if nobody volunteers, I'm going to pick someone. So, (gasps) Agnes! Yes! Agnes, step right up. Do you want to be David? Woo-hoo! It's really fun. You get to pretend to throw a a rock at Will's forehead. So, Um, let's see. Who else do we need? We need a Saul. So Saul is the king of Israel right now in this story. Um, anybody want to be a Saul? Oh, Jason, step right up, King Saul. All right, now we need Abner. This is a more minor role. He comes in at the very end of our story. He's the commander of the Israelite army. So who wants just like a super tiny role? Anyone? 
Don't make me call. Okay, Cassandra, come on up. You're going to be our Abner. <laughs> and Eliab. So Eliab is David's oldest brother. This is another small role. So who wants a small role? Yes, Maddie, come on up. And then Jesse. Jesse is David's d -d dad. So this is, again, another small role. Who wants to be Agnes's dad? <laughs> Who wants to be Enoch? Just kidding. <laughs> anyone? Anyone? Okay, Kara. I told Kara I was going to call on her if nobody volunteers. So Agnes, Kara is going to pretend to be your dad. That will be so fun. Kara would make a great dad, huh? <laughs> okay, and so then we have these other characters of the Israelites and the Philistines. We don't have to cast them, but if you really just want to be a part of this and just like stand up here and not say anything, like these are the rules for you. So does anybody want to pretend to be an Israelite soldier or a Philistine soldier? Yes, let's have Philistines go over here and Israelites go over here if you want to participate. All right, Hannah's going to be a Philistine and Jane's going to be an Israelite. Oh, yes, you guys, I'm so excited. Okay, so here's how it's going to work. I, so our scripture is just a portion of this huge long story, right? But like it takes out some of the juiciest bits of it. So what we're going to do Katie, are you joining? Ah, yes, we got another Israelite. Ha, Philistines. Okay. Um, so what I did was I took the whole chapter of 1 Samuel 17, which is super duper long, and I made it a little more kid and family friendly, because if you read it in the text, it's like, whoa. Okay. I left some of the fun, weird stuff in, um, and I also shortened it a bit. So if you want, you can follow along in your liturgy. Um, there might be some spots you miss. Otherwise, you can pull out a real Bible book or like your phone app or whatever. Um, and you can follow along. We're in 1 Samuel 17. So what I'm going to do, I'm the narrator. Um, and I'll just read it aloud. And when you hear your character's name, you'll come and... Right here. We'll just do it right here. Does that work, Will? Cameraman Will? All right. So here is our stage. All right. So one day, the Israelites, if you are an Israelite, sorry, Israelites, <laughs> um, come stand right here. You are standing on the hill, and the Philistines are standing on another hill. And you guys are all getting ready to battle each other. You got a hill and a hill and a valley between the two hills, right? So picture that in your head. And suddenly, on the side of the Philistines, a giant, nearly 10 feet tall, stepped out. Six cubits in a span. Whew. Um, and his name was Goliath from Gath. So say hi, Goliath. Ooh. <laughs> All right, so Goliath's going to do a fashion show for us. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was dressed in armor that weighed about 126 pounds. He wore bronze shin guards, carried a bronze sword, and his spear was like a fence rail. And the spear tip alone 
weighed over 15 pounds. Can you imagine like how big and scary that would be? Then Goliath pompously called out to the Israelites, pretend like you're talking when I'm talking. Why bother using your whole army? Look at me, I'm huge and scary. And you're all part of Saul's army, aren't you? So pick your best fighter and pit him against me. And let's see how quickly I can defeat him. And then Saul and all the Israelites were terrified. Let's see your scared faces. Ah, oh no! So now, let's meet David. That's you, Agnes. So David was Jesse's son. Step right up, Jesse, front and center. <laughs> um... And they are from Bethlehem. Wait, just like Jesus was from Bethlehem. Um, and David had seven older brothers. And his oldest three brothers were in Saul's army. So we have Abinadab and Shammah. We didn't cast those. But then we also have Eliab. Woohoo! So Eliab's the oldest. David is the youngest. And David... Okay, you can sit down now, Eliab. <laughs> no, you'll come back later, don't worry. <laughs> okay, so David would spend her days taking care of sheep, playing music. Can you pretend to play like a harp? That's okay. And then running errands for his dad and brothers. So one day, Jesse told David... Take all this food up to your brothers in the army and make sure that they're doing okay. So, David found someone to babysit his sheep and brought the food to the battle front. When he got there, so now we're at the battle again. So, Jesse, take a hike. You're back in Bethlehem. <laughs> David saw the giant Goliath, and he was booming out his challenge for a fight. So you know what David did? David left all the food that he brought with him with the baggage keeper and ran to see what was going on. So David saw how terrified the Israelites were. <laughs> and, he, and he heard the Israelites saying, this guy's so big and scary, not even Saul, our king, wants to fight him. Saul is a little scaredy cat. So he's going to give whoever fights Goliath a huge reward. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Making it rain. Okay. And David was like, wait, what? I like rewards. Tell me again what's going on. And then Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard David talking to the Israelite troops about this reward. And Eliab was real mad. And Eliab said to David, What are you doing here? You're just my kid brother. Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. Good job. <laughs> and David was like, What is it with you, Eliab? All he did was ask a question. So everything that David was saying was picked up and reported to Saul. So Saul sent for David. 
Now they're meeting in Saul's tent. And David says, don't worry, king. I'm ready to go and fight this giant Philistine. And Saul was like, what? You can't go fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. And he's been at this fighting business since even before you were born. What? But David was like, I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my dad. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down and rescue the lamb. Even though I'm small and young, I can do this. I can take on this giant because God is with me. So Saul was like, ugh, fine, go and I just hope God helps you. And Saul tried to give David all this super heavy and clunky armor, but David was like, whoa, I like can't even move with all this stuff on me. And so he took it all off and he grabbed his shepherd's staff like a giant stick and collected five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pocket of his shepherd's pack, kind of like a fanny pack. And then he grabbed his slingshot and marched right up to Goliath. What's going to happen? Goliath noticed little tiny David and laughed out loud. <laughs> Are you kidding me, Israel? Goliath said, I'll make roadkill out of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. <laughs> yeah, right, said David. I have a secret weapon. It's the Lord, and it is you who shall be a tasty morsel for the field mice. Ugh, Goliath was just fuming, so he ran towards David, but David reached into his pocket for a stone, slung it with the slingshot, and hit Goliath where? Right between the eyes. Yes, right between the eyes in the forehead. <laughs> Yay. Okay, and oh, he already did this, but David wavered back and forth for a bit and then crashed face down, face down in the dirt, not face up. There we go. <laughs> so yay, David wins with only a sling and a stone. He hit him and killed him and didn't even need a sword. <laughs> sword? <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> sword <laughs> or fancy armor. But wait, our story continues because David kills Goliath again? What? He runs up to Goliath, steals his giant sword, get ready, cuts off his head. And then, ew, then David carries Goliath's head all the way to Jerusalem. Ugh. What is this story? But then Saul watched all this happen. And Abner, yay. Abner, remember the commander of the Israelite army? Saul said to Abner, like, wait, who is this guy? Even though, like, Saul's met David so many times before up to this point. And then Abner's like, I have no idea. And Saul goes, well, find out who this kid is. And so Abner goes out. And before David carries Goliath's head all the way to Jerusalem, um, Abner finds David and brings him to Saul. And Saul says, hey, kid, who are you? I know David's a tough role, but we're almost done. And David says, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse. 
the one who lives in Bethlehem. The end. Woo! Round of applause. All right, my cast of characters, you may go take your seat. <laughs> Yay. You see, that's what happens when the kids person talks. <laughs> Thank you, Goliath. Thank you, David. Thank you, everybody. Uh, let's see. Let me get real situated. But, like, thanks for going along with this avant-garde theater performance. Um, because sometimes I feel like we just need to move our bodies, right? And physically place ourselves in the world of the story to engage with something we've maybe heard like a million times before. So let's see a show of hands. How many of us have heard the story of David and Goliath before? Yeah, and it's totally okay if you haven't. Now, and let's see another show of hands. How many of you heard this story all the time growing up as a kid in church? Yes, this is a favorite in kids' ministry. Um, <laughs> and then now, raise your hand if you have a hard time engaging with a story that maybe you've heard a million times before, slash a story that's usually inf infused with complicated theology, like we can conquer any giant or obstacle as long as we have enough faith in God. Yeah. This story is weird and complicated. And... Let's be real, like a lot of the Old Testament is, and that's why I love it. <laughs> because here's the thing, we are dynamic human beings, right? We learn, we expand, we shift, we evolve, and who we were when we first heard the story is not who we are today, unless today is your first time hearing it, then you are. <laughs> um, but I hope that after this fun and these words and these explorations, our minds and our hearts and our bodies and our spirits might expand just a little bit into this absurdly beautiful book. Um, because this, this is a mysterious and sacred text. And somehow it's like living and it's breathing and it's constantly turning the gem. Look at this, kids and grown-ups. Look at this. We used to use this back when we did kids' things, right? This is a gem. And sometimes we like to think, I know, it's not a real gem. Wouldn't that be so cool? Sometimes we like to think of Scripture as a gem, right? And a gem that turns every which way. And each time we turn it, it reveals new sides and shapes and refractions of light that we've never seen before. And so this text is also dynamic and spinning. Not that it's changing, it's just that we see a different side, a different sparkle than maybe we've seen before. So how do we become lifelong students of this mysteriously living sacred text as we journey through the various seasons of life? And how do we discover ways to live within and alongside this text through our various stages of expanding and evolving faith? Hmm, I wonder. So I've gotten really into rock hunting lately. Um, do I have any other fellow rock nerds out there? Not like 
rock nerds, but like rock nerds, let's look in the ground. Like Hannah and Olivia, if you're watching, I know you're also really into rocks. Like rocks rock, am I right? <laughs> and you know what? I think like reading scripture is a lot like rock hunting. Because you're like walking along this path or along the shore and you're just like looking for these hidden treasures. And some rocks are like fully exposed and you can see them very easily. And some are just barely peeking out. Or maybe you don't even discover them at all until you start digging. And some rocks you've seen many times before, so you just pass right by them. But some rocks catch your attention. Maybe they're sparkling, maybe they're a fun color or have a cool design on them. And so then you stop, and you bend down, and you carefully unearth it. And then you spend time tenderly cleaning and polishing the rock until you discover the truly beautiful thing that was hiding under the earth the whole time. Like, there are so many things in this great, big, beautiful world that we can explore and discover that, like, so often we don't even notice they're there. And I think that reading the Bible can be like this, too. Like, it's so easy to get caught up in the hurriedness of investigation. Like, what does this passage mean? How does this even apply to my life? What actually historically happened? And when we do that, we rush by and miss out on all these juicy nuggets along the way. And so rock hunting and scripture reading are both about slowing down, being curious, and following the lead of the sand or the dirt or the story so that you can discover and unearth some pretty wild and spectacular things. So let's think about rock hunting for a second. Kids, I'm definitely going to need your help on this one. So we need tools, right? Here's an all-play question. What are some tools we would need for rock hunting? You can shout it out. A chisel, yeah. And if you've never been rock hunting, just imagine, like, what would you need to dig rocks out of the ground? Anyone? Yes, your own hands. Yes, you need your hands to pick up and dig. What else do you need? What? Exactly, Peyton. A bag to keep your cool rocks. Because, like, I've gone rock hunting before without a bag, and I'm, like, dropping rocks along the way because I just grabbed too many. So you need something to hold these special treasures in. Yes, Pam, you need water. Because when you pick up these rocks, they're covered in dirt and algae and maybe sometimes animal poop, what? And you want to clean them off and see like what you've got. Sometimes if I don't have water, I'll just spit and, and see. Let's see, <gasps> Jade. Jade says a shovel. Yes, Jade, you need a shovel. All right, can anyone think of anything else? A sifter. Yeah, like when you're panning for gold. Yeah, there's so many, so many things that you need and can use when you're rock hunting. And all these tools help us do different things, like digging or polishing the rocks or testing the rock's hardness or observing 
the physical features of this rock. And so I wonder then, do you think we might also need some tools to help us read the Bible? Not like a hammer or a chisel. So another all play. Um, what are some tools that we might need to read the Bible? Tools that are maybe in our brains, in our hearts, in our bodies, in our spirits, in our whole selves that help us meaningfully engage with the stories in our scripture. Can you think of any tools that might help us? Community. Yes. Like, how boring would the Bible be if all we did was just read it by ourselves and then we didn't have anybody to talk to about it? What else? Our emotions. Our emotions. Yes. We are human beings with emotions, and reading Scripture evokes emotions out of us. Here's a hint. What is this? A Bible. Do we maybe need the Bible to read the Bible? Yeah. Like, it could be a book. It could be on your phone. It could be stories that you hear when someone's speaking, but we need some sort of text to engage with, right? Do we have any other tools? Oh, yes! Imagination! We need imagination to bring these stories to life. We maybe need curiosity, compassion, open-handedness, and humility. And we also need body parts that help us read and hear and engage with these stories, right? Like our eyes, our ears, our hands. Ooh, yeah, stillness. Because, like, if you are hurrying and rushing around, like, whew, the word's just going to go over you like water off of a duck. It just doesn't have time to sink in. And so today I thought it would be really fun to explore the story of David and Goliath with one of my favorite tools that I use when I read the Bible. It has a super fancy name in the biblical studies world, and it's called, are you ready? Literary criticism. Can you say that with me? Literary criticism. Yes, thank you, Enoch, for the grand gesture. Look at that. Like, we're all biblical scholars now. Look at that. <laughs> so literary criticism really just asks this question. How can we read the Bible as the beautiful, thoughtful, and artistic collection of literature it is? Because the stories, the poetry, and the letters in our Bible weren't just carelessly thrown together or written down in some dry academic language like a textbook, right? They were artfully crafted through like some pretty mysterious partnership between God and humans. They were penned and edited and collected by storytellers and God followers who were following the divine flow of God's creative breath. And so let's put on our literary reading glasses and let's look at this epic, heroic story of David and Goliath. So when I use this tool of literary criticism, the first thing I like to do is orient myself within the text. I zoom way out and figure out where and when I am in the story. So it's kind of like figuring out where you are on a map, right? You have to find 
Look through the whole world, find where you are. And so our story's in 1 Samuel, right? Yes. Can you think about what books come before 1 Samuel? Totally okay if you don't know. Hmm. I raised like a pastor's kid, so like these Bible books are ingrained in me. But we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What is that? These five books. The Pentateuch, the Torah. That's like the most important part of Hebrew of the Hebrew Bible. They're the five books of the Torah. They tell the stories of where the people of Israel came from, from the creation of the world through Abraham and enslavement in Egypt, and then records all the laws that God gave Israel to empower them to love God, themselves, and their neighbors. So after the Torah, then we have Joshua. Joshua's a super fun book full of genocide, conquest, and manifest destiny as Israel moves from the wilderness and into the land that God promised Abraham. <sighs> and then after Joshua, we have j -j Judges. Yes. And Judges, I think Steve talked about this a few weeks ago, but he, it tells the stories of the people who led Israel when it was just like this de decentralized, disorganized group of tribes as they're just settling down into the land and all the Canaanites and the Philistines and everyone around them was like, hey, this is our land. Why are you taking it? We're going to fight you. And then comes Ruth. Ruth is this amazing story of two women who use their wit and creativity to survive in a system that's stacked against them. And then after Ruth comes 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. So that's how we get to where we are. And I always like to look at what comes after, because that helps give us context as well. So after 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and then 1 and 2 Chronicles. And so these six books, all the first and seconds, are these stories of all the different kings of Israel. Some were great and some were really terrible. But here's what's cool about it. So 1 and 2 Samuel acts as the transition from the chaotic, decentralized organization of Israel as they settle into the land and judges into this centralized but really often, often super corrupt rule and reign of the monarchy. So we go from judges decentralized to a monarchy centralized. And these two books, 1st and 2nd Samuel, play a super important and pivotal role in the history of Israel. So now we're going to zoom in a bit. Can you do that with me? Zoom in a bit. Yes. Thank you. So remember a couple weeks ago, Steve preached on the story of when Israel marched up to the last judge, Samuel, and demanded a king to be just like all the other nations? Well, that was like 1st Samuel 7 or 8. Like, this is the start of 1st Samuel. And the story continues throughout 1st and 2nd Samuel to tell the stories and the lives of Israel's first two kings. Do you know who Israel's first two kings are? They were in our story this morning. Yes, we have Saul and we have David. And if you zoom in, we're going to zoom in again. Get ready. 
zoom in. We're going to zoom in even closer from 1st and 2nd Samuel now to 1st Samuel. And we see that after Israel demands a king and after God leads Samuel to anoint Saul as the first king, sorry Saul, but you end up being pretty bad. <laughs> and so like you start off good, but then ugh, things go pretty bad. And so God's like, actually Samuel, let's make this young kid David king. Like, sure, he hangs out with sheep all day, but I know his heart, and he would make a really great leader. And so now, in chapter 16, right before our story of David and Goliath, in chapter 17, that's our story, we're getting closer, we're just starting to see this awkward, soon-to-be, really violent transition from Saul as king to this random shepherd kid, David as king. So here's an all play, a chance to hear the we and not just the me. What do you notice about the characters of David and Saul in our story? How are they described and what do they do? See if you can think back to maybe what we acted out, what you've heard growing up, what you read in your Bible or your liturgy. What do you notice about David and Saul as characters in this story? Oh, that's so good. Yeah, Saul is pretty passive and just kind of like hangs out in the background and David's really active. Even though like when Israel wanted a king, God was like, well, okay, the king's going to have to lead you into battle. But Saul, the king, isn't leading them into battle. He's just like, oh, I'm so scared of Goliath. And let's this kid go fight this 10-foot giant. Right, let's see what else. What did Saul want David to wear? His armor. And what did David wear? Normal clothes, right. So like Saul was like, here, uh, why don't you just like dress like a soldier and have all this stuff? And David's like, nah, bro. Like, I've God on my side. I don't need all this stuff. And so we see there just like this difference of like faith in swords and in armor and faith in a living God. And, like, it's just really interesting. The more you look at this language in the text, like, Goliath and all the soldiers of Israel, even Saul, describe the Israelite army as the armies of Saul. But then David steps in and he says, this is the army of the living God. And just, like, what a difference is that in approach, that Saul, the king, is like, this is my army. And then David, who in chapter 16, was already anointed as king, but Saul didn't really know yet. It's like, no, this is the army of the living God. Two very different approaches. And so they're pretty opposite, huh? And like, I could go on and on about more stuff, but I shan't. Um, and so does any literature nerd out there know what literary device is being used here? making Saul the complete opposite or antithesis of David. Yes! Maddie's on fire. Character foils, right? This was always the one in English class. I was like, wait, what? Like foil? Like aluminum foil? What? 
Um, Foil is really just this fancy word to describe how the author of 1 Samuel is painting David, the most beloved king in Israel's history, as the complete opposite of his predecessor, Saul, who was not the worst king in Israel's history, but definitely in like the top 10 worst kings. Um, and so when you read the story of David and Goliath with this foil in mind, our story suddenly becomes so much more than just David and Goliath, colon, faith in God gives us victory over our enemies. And it becomes David and Saul, colon, a quippy political and theological commentary on two of Israel's most well-known leaders. That kind of shifts the story, doesn't it? Huh, what a fun little juicy nugget. But I should say that like, this story doesn't paint David to be this pristine, amazing, godly person either, right? Like he sneaks and he schemes and he's pretty arrogant and boastful and I think maybe even a little bit annoying. Because um, he's like, oh wait, what's this thing about a reward? I, I, I've never heard that before. And if you read through the stories of David's kingship throughout the Samuels, you'll discover that even Israel's most beloved king, the one whose rule and reign would be continued forever through Jesus, was not always a great human being. Like David and Bathsheba, anyone? Or when David collected a hundred Philistine foreskins? Yikes. Uh, they could have cleaned up these stories a bit to portray David as more perfect and holy, but they didn't. Instead, they left these stories mostly unlaundered and really leaned into the, oh, yikes, humans can be like really great and also really terrible. So, all play. Maybe this is our last all play. Yes, our last all play. What does the storyteller's choice to embrace the unlaundered humanness of history say about who God is, and who the people who follow God are. Because Israel totally could have, just like pretty much every other nation in history, when they tell the stories of their leaders, we polish them up, don't we? We kind of sweep the ugly stuff under the rug. But here, the storyteller and Israel's history is like, David's pretty awesome, right? But also he's not so awesome, but mostly awesome for most of the time. What does this say about God and what does this say about us? Yes, you don't need to be perfect. Man, wouldn't that suck if you had to be perfect? Like the only other character in God's story would be Jesus. What? So we don't have to clean ourselves up or always be 100% loving, kind, patient, perfect, whatever, in order to participate in the story of God. We can show up as our messy, awkward, less than perfect selves, and God will take one look at us and say, yes, I am so glad you came. I have the coolest role for you to play. So come here, let me show you what it is. Now, I could probably spend hours upon hours upon hours pointing out all the shiny rocks that are peeking out of the sand in the story. Like, why is, why is Goliath killed twice? Once with the slingshot and once with the sword. Or 
Why does David take Goliath's head to Jerusalem when Jerusalem wasn't even a part of Israel yet? And if you want to get coffee this week and we can wonder about these questions together, I would love that. (laughs) But for now, I just want to close with this question. Like, is the story of God's expansive and compassionate love confined to the ink and bounded pages of our Bible? No. (laughs) It lives within within and all around this book. It doesn't just end with this last map or whatever ends your Bible, right? Like you and me and literally everybody in all of history in the entire world are invited to step into this story, not only to explore the juicy nuggets that are buried in the dirt, but also to participate, participate in the poetic movement of God's work in our world. We get to continue this this living, breathing, and mysteriously wonderful story alongside our divine storyteller. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If If you you find find yourself nearby nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you have have any any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.